0: If you're a pilates instructor looking to learn and grow using science-based tools the pilates instructor vip membership is for you this is a continuing education resource that includes monthly workshops weekly research reviews programming support full-on classes and so much more and you can get your seven day free trial right now with the link in the show notes but without further ado Let's get on to this episode. Welcome to another episode of the Evidence-Based Pilates podcast. And do I have a treat for you? I have, uh, I would call you the OJ. I'm going to call you the OJ, the original Jedi, Pilates Jedi, uh, Heath uh, Lander here. Um, Welcome, Heath. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, it's awesome to have you here. Um, for those um, who who don't know you, um, why don't you uh,
1: uh, tell us your story? Okay, um, I'm I, I my Pilates story is I discovered Pilates about fifteen years ago when I had a what I was told was a back injury. Um, prior to that, I'd been doing a lot of ayenga uh, yoga, um, kettlebell training. Always been in the into the gym i'd done martial arts so i'd always moved but i'd never come across pilates Uh, i was having a particularly tough time in my life um had some sudden onset acute lower back pain was told i had a back injury of some sort can't remember what and i was referred to a myotherapist who then in turn referred me to a pilates studio that had just opened up in melbourne's cbd so I hustled my way down there on his recommendation and bumped into Raphael Bender who I'd known like literally 15, maybe even 20 years earlier in a martial arts life. And he was running the Pilates studio. Um, he gave me some exercises, and I started to feel better and it was kind of a sliding doors moment. I'd been about to start a yoga instructor training. Raph offered me a spot in one of his training courses. So I took that and that was, better part of 15 years ago. Um, I started working for him, started running a studio out of my living room. That turned into a proper studio and that grew. And I started to train instructors for RAF at Breathe Education. And it's just kind of evolved from there. Um, Yeah. So that's how I kind of ended up in Pilates. And what I'm more and more aware of is that that journey gave me something of a, I don't know, a, a, a particular lens on pilates movement i'm I'm not particularly attached to it as a one true system like it's an interesting group of exercises that have interesting relationships to one another um but i've always found it i never felt obliged to only do the repertoire so i'm uh like when i teach and as you know adam when i when i present to instructors i'm often guilty of just doing stuff that's not Pilates and not even realizing what I'm doing. So I've kind of got a very melange kind of, you know, mixed bag of movement understandings and that's influenced how I teach. Yeah. And my, most of my days, these days is taken up teaching training instructors, mentoring instructors. And I also teach about eight, eight, eight to 10 classes a week in a studio that, called White Dog Studio that I run. It's a bricks and mortar studio I run with my partner. So I'm still on the tools running reformer classes two days a week.
0: What an yep. what an impressive uh resume. And and we and which is exactly why we are here to talk about um going from being like an average instructor to to an excellent instructor. And something that you mentioned is like you just unknowingly or maybe knowingly just start teaching movement in the lens of Pilates. And it's just that's what happens when you have a really deep understanding. It's just things become intuitive, and then it's another skill to translate that uh, to other people. And then it's it's interesting how you you go into Pilates with an injury, and then you come out teaching it. Right? You get offered a position and things like that. What was like the like? Why did you do that instead of just say like, no, I just want to do pilates like what made you want to go in there and instruct like meaning there's there must have been something about that experience with raf
1: and or whoever else was there mm-hmm. um so going back one notch what i was doing when i hurt my back my i wasn't i was an edu- i was a teacher uh so i went to teachers college after high school then i didn't once i'd finished teachers college i didn't do teaching I made art and did martial arts and basically wasted a few years flapping about looking for myself and eventually when my daughter was imminent I went back to teaching and over the next decade or so I I moved into teaching art which was my training to um, children with special needs which was an amazing job but also quite taxing Uh, and so then when I and also very bureaucratic, so i I'm my my sort of psychological construct doesn't sit well with a lot of precision and you know detail and bureaucracy essentially, so that was always a challenge and then, when I started working in Pilates and I said, "Oh, you can do movement and I could teach movement as a job like what um so that that was kind of the moment. it was like this convergence of I'd always been in education and I loved the process of educating and helping people. Or facilitating people learning and discovering things but i was really exhausted from working within a bureaucratic construct aka government school and yeah this the discovery that i could teach movement to people who were motivated to learn it for injury or self-care that was the first light bulb moment that was the first like wow i just get, I get paid to just do movement with people and then the next order of surprise was, oh, and now this person's going to pay me to teach people, to teach movement, like, you know, let's go. So yeah, that was, it was quite organic, but it just plugged, it was like the two, two the two main threads of my life, which was movement, which I'd always done, and education, which I'd been trained in, just converged and was like a, a click.
0: There you go. It's nice and. Different aspects of our life can do that. And and what what was like your like going back further than that? um, What was the motivation or your experience of just becoming a teacher in
1: itself? Yeah, that was just uh, um, accidental. Essentially, I both of my parents are educators, um, but not in they were they were. uh drama they were drama teachers essentially one one in the universities and one in schools um so i just grew up being in schools and educational facilities um organizations and as i reached the end of high school I, i really had no idea what to do with myself um and so when i had to apply for university degrees i just applied for some education ones partly mainly actually my best friend who would finished school the year before me had gone into an arts education degree and I enjoyed art so I just followed him uh, so it was complete essentially it was just sort of like I just did what my brain knew about because I didn't know what else I wanted to do and I I was just lucky really I think it was lucky I could have gone in other directions that might not have been as fortuitous but yeah it's worked out quite well
0: yeah yeah sure it sure has and it, it's an incredible skill to to one, know movement, and then be able to know just how to teach humans skills, uh, yeah. regardless if it's movement or, or not. And, and with that, like, in your eyes, whether it be about Pilates or not, like, what are qualities of an awesome teacher?
1: Like, yeah.
0: What do you think of the best teachers you've experienced?
1: Yeah, great. Um, so I've thought a lot about this, obviously, for my work. Teaching instructors, but also as a business owner, getting instructors to be good enough to slot into the business is something you've got to pay attention to as a business owner in pilates um, and there's multiple facets to that like what are they teaching is it aligned with the brand how are they teaching it are they doing it in a way that resonates but there's individual enough that they still feel like themselves and what i've what I've come to is and our colleague, Natalie Wilson says this beautifully is that fundamentally it's about empathy. So, and I used to think of it as the skills that will make you exceptional are not what you think. Like it's, we can teach you the movements, no problem. It's the interaction and the connectivity and the empathy and your ability to listen and observe. Those are the things that will set you apart. And one of my projects over the last 10 years has been trying to make that into a set of um, transferable skills. Because when people are good at that, it seems like a superpower. And you think, well, how do you learn to be more empathetic? How do you learn to be better at connection? Like it seems like something that you're either good at or not good at. But you can learn it, and there are skills. And so that's, uh, sorry. So to answer your question, I think it's your ability to be empathetic. And then the next step to that is that. It's it, the project for us is how to improve that as a skill rather than accept it as a a trait.:
0: Yeah, absolutely. So it's a, it is and that's a big breakthrough, it's not, it's not I'm empathetic or I'm not empathetic. It's you know it's not. I oh I'm good at showing up on time. I'm not good at showing up on time. Those these are all behaviors that are modifiable, and having that mindset is is critical to one learning and then being able to teach a skill. And like, how would you describe like the skill set of empathy? Like, what does that look like in a,
1: a teacher? uh so in it so for Pilates, Pilates. Teacher, the way I make sense of that is, if I'm your mentor or I'm your employer, and I see those for me, I try and make those two things interchangeable. It's I need you to be a beginner, and I need that too. Like that, the experience of not quite understanding something is fundamental to your ability to understand what's going on for people when they don't quite understand what you've asked them to do. that That's the kind of, that's one thing that I think is really important. Put yourself in situations where you feel like a beginner and then observe that feeling and bring it to your teaching. So what's, what I, I need you, I need to be aware of how you feel when I ask you to do things that are difficult. I think that's the bedrock of it for me, for, for a movement instructor that, wants to help the general and my big so the caveat there is that my project is about teaching teachers to be better at teaching the general public so you know i don't have a lot to do with people who are training or i haven't trained a lot of elite dancers or athletes i've done a bit with athletes but and they're a different kettle of fish but in terms of training instructors primarily it's helping them be better at working with the general public And, you know, the general public who come to a Pilates class, maybe they come to two a week, maybe they've got three kids, one kid, a tough job, four jobs, whatever. So then it's like, how do I make this the most empowering experience I can for you when you come? Fundamentally, that's got to be about how do I bring you into the space, give you some success, challenge you appropriately and support you when it's tough. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, 100%. I'm just admiring this because it's, as I'm listening, these are all just like human qualities, you know, as opposed to um, a lot of times we met, we, how do you say, like, there are these biomarkers that we think of what makes a great instructor. They know the anatomy, they know the biomechanics, they know the history of Pilates, and these things are important. But there's like, everything that you mentioned is the qualities of an excellent instructor or just teacher in the world and they have nothing to do with the exercise but everything to do with getting outside of ourselves and putting ourselves in someone else's shoes Mm. and Mm. the picture that i create in my mind when you say be a beginner is not like pretend that you're doing beginner footwork it's like go do a skill that you suck at and like embrace it's like it's like embrace sucking at something and then you have more empathy you know for that and i've like i've been to zumba class i don't know if you've ever ever been to zumba class oh oh man that's a whole nother animal i suck at zumba but that was one of the best things ever for teaching is Mm. like is is
1: to have that experience yeah Um, that's exactly what i meant as opposed to do beginner exercises with your class i totally meant be, be somewhere where you suck and you got to work through the suck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Just in, embrace sucking. Um, that's, that's a good one. Um, so then like another way of like, like bringing this into the Pilates studio, like I love thinking in opposites. And then if you think in opposites, just do the opposite of what you don't like. Like what are, like what would be qualities of an instructor that it's like, I had an awful experience at this and it could be, any movement studio it could be a Pilates studio or whatnot like what would be things of like like that would just be like oh that was awful like I would never hire this instructor
1: Mm. I think the the go-to example for me with that and and I'm sad to say that this is based off feedback I've received and consistently receive um, because we, my studio doesn't do this, or we certainly work not to do this, so this would be a red flag for me as a mentor and employer, is that the instructor presents movements that are interesting to them, regardless of what the person in front of them can do. So if if you're looking at a room of 10 people that you're teaching, and any more than none are not moving, something's not right. So, so if you've got if you're running a session and there are like three people who can't do the thing that you did, that's like a red flag. Like that's not right. So, um, and the you know that's a deceptively simple, maybe slash reductionist way of describing it. But for me, is what I think that means is it that if you take that as your fundamental premise that everyone is moving because that's what they came for and moving towards challenge that makes them live healthier, happier, longer lives, that starts to funnel down to movements that are simple and scalable, as opposed to complex and really hard to make sense of. So in terms, again, teaching the general public, the, 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 the biggest measure, like what's, what's the opposite? The, the thing I would not want is lots of people standing around watching one person do some cool shit.
0: Yeah. And then just do so, then just do the opposite of what you don't want. So, if you do, oh. if you figure out like what, a, like, an, like a class that you wouldn't like or that you wouldn't want to hire someone, then just do the opposite of that. Like, how would I make no money? Well, I would do this, this, and this, and this. We'll do the opposite of that. You know, you might have a good business. Hmm. Uh, and so, it sounds like uh, when people come to a moving class, you want to get people moving. And if they're not moving, then we have a problem in like right well, well said, well said. Yeah. that's some great science there man um, so it's like if someone's coming to your restaurant they're not eating like you might have a problem right uh, They should be eating something uh, so then with this like what's embedded in that is like it's the instructor's class instead of it being the client's class and I think it's really important I've been on that side of um, of I had to do a one-on-one session as like part of being a studio and I remember being told to stop moving because I was moving and breathing wrong and it's like such an awful Mm. as as a client to to be told not to do that so it's but but so so what's also really cool about that is it's really easy to win because it's like well just get your clients moving And what are strategies that you
1: use to, to get clients just moving? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So yeah, great question. And like, as you said, embedded in that is a bunch of skills um, that are simple, but overlapping. And so if you, so if the premise is you want everyone moving, because you don't want people in the restaurant not eating, so, it, you've got to start with something that everyone in the room can do. And some people might just call that a warm up. So, your warm up should be totally achievable for everyone in the room. And that would be the first place. So, start with something that everyone can do. And then have the skill to incrementally add challenge. So, and this is an, I mean, so. The, and when you do that, you add the challenge in the basically the same place. And I know you and I both share a passion for thinking in terms of body positions. Um, so you set up a basic construct of where you're going to do the next five to twenty exercises, and start with something that everyone can do. And that takes a little bit of practice, but basically cat stretch or footwork. You know, like there you go. Start there. That's where I start every single class and have done for ten years. Um, And I'm still going, so it can't be that bad. And then just build progressively from there towards things. And again, it's it's a symbiotic thing. You add a bit and you watch. You add a bit and you watch. And if everyone continues to move and continues to integrate the new challenge, awesome. Keep adding layers of challenge. If half the room starts to struggle, then you're probably around about the sweet spot. And that's where you do some, you know, holds or pulses or the things that we use in Pilates to provide more challenge without changing the load or the complexity. And that's what bring, I find that makes the session or the, the exercise or the moment cohesive to the group. And yeah, yeah. So th- there's, a, there's some thoughts on how that works. Yeah.
0: I hope you're enjoying the podcast. My only ask of you as a listener is to leave a five-star review. Leaving a review helps this podcast grow and have a greater influence on the Pilates industry. I do this 100% for free. I do not and will never accept advertisements on this podcast. It is 100% for free. And you can go ahead and make a huge difference and allow this to grow by leaving a five-star review. Yeah, that's like a decade of motor learning research just in like two minutes. So embedded in that is um, facilitate early success and present challenge, right? And, And so it's... You know it's like there's a saying in neuroscience to like just outside of being an awesome instructor but it's like like being an awesome instructor isn't about you being an awesome instructor it's about the clients having an awesome experience and then a result of that is you're an awesome instructor but it's really a, about
1: the your client you're a facilitator
0: yeah right and and there's a there's a phrase in neuroscience that like neurons that fire together wire together which is like why you can smell like uh, grandma's cookies from 20 years ago Right? you walk by the bakery and it's like right And a sign of an awesome instructor is like your client walks you know they walk out the door with a smile right or they might be cussing at you during the hundred but they walk out the door with a smile and when they walk by the studio they have that positive um association either okay. with you or pilates in general now there's you know it's this thing of like it's a really simple concept but simple concepts don't always have easy application. Right. Because people go to Pilates school and there's a lot of detail in there, regardless of where you go, there's a big learning curve. Hmm. And so if there is a new instructor, like listening to this podcast and looking for ways to prioritize their learnings, what would kind of advice, like, would you give to them?
1: Sorry, let me double click on that. So prioritize yep. their learning. So in terms of like what details are important, how do you filter the things to focus on?
0: Yeah. Like, should we learn about the planner fascia and how it affects the big toe or, um, what other, what would be like the big fish to fry in terms of being an awesome instructor?
1: Yeah. Okay. So what, well, to, to the way you've prefaced that question. Why is the person in front of you in the room? Like what's the win going to look like for the person in front of you? Is it knowing more about their plantar fascia or is it doing some movement that makes them stronger, feel better and have a great time, build positive associations with movement and want to do that again? And, you know, so then what, and this, what makes something resonate for us well, it's, it's suitably challenging that we feel like that we might succeed, but it's challenging enough that we have to harness our skills and abilities to wrestle with the challenge. That's what makes things engaging. Great. So, and, and, and the sense that you can win, right? So that's, that's what I try and provide. And that's, that's what I would, so I'm not answering your question very well. Um, so as a new, if I could go back and say to me as a, when I was in Pilates school or what I should focus on, it would not be the micro positions of the hip, knee, ankle, and the breath pattern. It would be find a spring setting that suits the person that they can do 20 reps, get them moving, celebrate the movement. Make sure you remember their name or that they've just changed their toenail color, or they've just had their hair done and make a note of that. And then once you've established that relationship, then push them a little bit. So just ask them to add an extra spring or, and you think, Oh God, what if I hurt them? Well, if they can do 20, you're not going to hurt them. Like, you know, so, and that comes back to do your own practice, know what the spring tensions are like, be a beginner and, and use that to calibrate how people look. How does their movement look? If they're still moving confidently and smoothly, make it harder. If they're not, if they're starting to struggle, can they do another few? And those things start to coalesce. So that, I'm still not answering your question. If I could go back and say to me as the beginner, it would be pick some simple exercises that are easily scalable, teach them a lot, and watch the people doing them as opposed to thinking about the right way or the, the perfect cue or the anatomy of the movement. Just watch the person. How do they look, you know? How does, it look, how does it look like they feel? And then that double clicks into the thing of, okay, if they look really bored, that's actually probably a good thing because they're probably engaged with the movement. They're not looking at you. Right. So then it's like, there's some sort of so. so. So, social interaction stuff there it's like it's okay if they look bored especially if you know that the spring setting that you're doing is suitably challenging for them yeah or if they look like they hate you well that might be the purpose of the spike that you're working on at that point in the session you don't want them to look like they hate you the whole time but it's okay sometimes does that, does that help does that answer the question absolutely
0: i i just i love how it, it keeps coming back to really simple narratives and client-centered care and something you, you, you mentioned a couple of times was that the client wins, right? Like why, like, could you, um, elaborate on that a little bit more and like, why is that important? Like, why not just have the client lose?
1: Mm. Um, well, the, ultimately they won't come back, right? So like that, that, you know, I mean, the opportunity that we have to provide people a healthier, happier, longer life through movement is priceless. But if they don't come back, we just blew that opportunity. And so I, and this might sound a little bit trite, but I hold on to this, that every time I work with someone, it's my opportunity to improve their life. And that keeps me coming back to just like, I love teaching group classes They're, It's exhausting. I drive like five hours a week to do it but I actually love it when I do it. Sincerely, I'm in my flow state. And it's always brought back to, I want everyone in the room to love what they're doing. And that's what I mean by win. And that doesn't mean they enjoy it all the time, but they love what it does for them. They love that they're there. They have positive associations. I tell good, bad jokes, you know, all of those things coalesce to be something that they love about the experience. And that's my opportunity and my responsibility. And so, I need you to win, so I've got to set up a game that you can win, and then it's my job as your coach mentor, trainer. Once you win that game, I've got to give you a new game that That's how I like to think about it yeah
0: yeah no i, I you hit the nail on the head right away, like they won't come back yeah, like, yeah. like then you lose right like, right away, like it's also bad for your business if they don't win. And and I I love how you keep you keep um, intertwining, let them win, present challenge. So that's motor learning, right? That is facilitate early success, then present challenge. And and if anyone if, you, if anyone listening, if you haven't taken Heath's classes, you have to because there is challenge there the whole time. Um, I promise you that. Uh, and so so with this, like you mentioned, like watching uh the client right Man. and i remember being very googly eyed when i started watching human movement. move it now i can see stuff and it's just like you know you can you can easily make a decision and you don't really you don't really think about it yeah. right you, you see fatigue it's like i need to do this thing for the instructor that's like looking and you see so much but also nothing at the same time yeah what are what should we look for when we're watching our students?
1: Yeah. Um, well, that's a great question. So, and so what I've observed over the last long period of time of, of mentoring instructors is that there's a, a progression, there's a natural progression that can be subverted by mentoring, but the natural progression seems to be whatever you're taught so the, the the trainer or training organisation teaches you something that's that's been tested right it's got it's got some kind of empirical value this works quite well and then the progression is to complicate that right like to to add more to it and that's the paradox of that is that what i've observed is as as we do that and i did this like i, I 150,000% did this i totally overcomplicated things and as i did that i was doing it at a time when what i could see was just chaos like I think that's what you were talking about. It's like there's a lot of things to see but I'm seeing nothing because it's just, you know, blah. And it took me a really long time, like far too long, and to to start to realize that if I want to see the bodies moving in front of me more clearly, that's a skill. And so how do you get better at a skill? You do reps. And the best way to do the reps is of the thing that is the thing you want to do. So there was this light bulb moment, like I said, far too long after I started where I thought, just simplify the repertoire that I'm teaching or the exercises, whatever you want to call it and teach them on repeat because that'll make me better at teaching them. As soon as I did that, my client retention, my client reviews and my, and my, and my, my enjoyment of what I did just went through the roof because it was like, ah, I'm getting reps of the thing I want to be good at. And so I stopped doing really complicated stuff and I just did simple stuff, long stretch footwork, hands and straps, chest expansion, bed pulls or reverse knee stretches, knee stretches, like lunges, scooters, like just the bread and butter meat and potatoes exercises. And I did them a lot. And then all of that chaos started to kind of come into focus. And it was like, ah, and then so all these sort of disparate skills started to come together. Like when I say that cue, most people seem to do what I want them to do. When I say that cue, most people don't do what I want them to do. Okay. I know which cue I want to go with, right? but I wouldn't have been able to do that if I hadn't been teaching the same movements on repeat, because it would have been like, oh, you know, that movement doesn't work, but the cue was fine. Who knows? But by keep by reducing the variables, by teaching the same things more often, all of my teaching skills came up. And that's how what I do. That's That's the fundamental premise of how I mentor qualified instructors when I work with them. It's like, pick a bunch of stuff. Keep it simple, lock it in and do it for a period of time. And what's your teaching skills come up, as opposed to your programming skills? Does that answer your question?
0: Yeah, and I'm just having trauma from taking your classes on record in the masterclass library, where we just did squats, squat, squat, squats, 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 squats planks, 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 squats, squats, and I'm still sore from that. Uh, so uh, but just having a fun memory there. But um, with, with that, like it sounds like the key to your success is not scrolling through um, Instagram and finding the latest coolest exercise with the squishy ball, but quite the opposite of that, of just homing in on the basics and in in something that uh, I, I want to say it's like Alex Ramosi uh, that that mentions uh, that volume negates skill, meaning that if you just do enough of it, you end up getting you end up doing more and you end up getting better at it as a result so if you if you teach scooter 250 times in the next month you're going to be really you're going to be really good at teaching scooter forget the math like i don't know if that number is good um but you're going to be really good at teaching scooter instead of teaching it once a week
1: and things of that nature yeah and and if you and the other thing what what i see instructors so the, the counter to that suggestion and it's not an unreasonable one is, won't people get bored? And it's like, well, the first thing to catch there is that if you teach it, if you teach Scooter every class for the next six weeks, you'll be bored way before your clients because most clients are only coming once or twice a week. And most of them, again, general public, will barely remember what you did last class. And what is Reforma Pilates? Well, Scooter is part of Reforma Pilates. so, So you did a lot of Scooter for a while fine. Like, it's just not a big deal. So that you, yeah. And, and yeah, so so that's, that that's one, because that's something I often have to talk about with people. It's like, you're going to be bored of it way before your clients have even noticed they're doing a lot of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And also like they'll just stop showing up. Right. So then Meaning if your clients are still showing up and you're keeping the repertoire simple, it must be working because they're still here, right? They're obviously not bored because if you weren't bored, you wouldn't show up. And at the end of the day, um, like if you're going to get, if you're going to get someone stronger, doing really simple exercises for an extended period of time is going to be the key to it. Meaning, um, a sense of consistency. And, and what I keep like hearing from you, asking you questions about making an awesome instructor, it keeps going back to simplicity. Mm -hmm. I've certainly fallen into the trap of trying to complicate my teaching, especially at the beginning. And trying to learn all of the anatomy and the biomechanics and Mm -hmm. all the, the right cues, but then. If you go, it's like, if you go too far into that, you get confused. If you can, if you completely, like, if you don't know any anatomy or any biomechanics, then things are also confusing because then you don't know what the hell you're doing. Actually, Mm, mm. where, like, where do you find like the knowledge of anatomy and biomechanics in terms of teaching movement on a value scale? Um,
1: so. So just, just to to go back one step, I I want to just catch it. Like in terms of that last topic, there's a, there's a a sweet spot balance, which is not black and white of variability and repetition. And so like, I'm not saying if, if you taught the exact same class every session, Unless that was the premise of the studio, say for example, a classical studio where that's what you do, then you probably have a problem. So there's always that balance of repetition and and variety. But it's it it as a as a as a developing instructor where you're not yet as awesome as you're going to be, the tendency is to err on the side of variety rather than repetition. That's that's what I was trying to capture. And that folds into, so then what you've asked is, how, what are my thoughts on how important is anatomy and biomechanics in teaching? It's, it's a little bit hard for me to answer that because I came out of a teaching model that said anatomy was and biomechanics was super important. So I had to learn it all. And then I, I shudder at my memories of teaching Matt Pilates and actually telling people about the names of the muscles of their pelvic floor and their transverse abdominis which had zero bearing on their ability to do the movements that we were doing together. So they're, they're doing movement while they're listening to me educate them about muscles. I was like, so that's, that was, but at the same time I learned those move, those muscles. So then that over that gave me a confidence eventually that I did know those muscles and I could realize it doesn't really matter. Like meh, like, you know, and so these days people ask me what muscles, and I, half the time I forget. I'm like, ah, uh, hold on, I, give me a minute. I'm busy thinking about the group's movement. I have to remember what muscle that is. Um, so the paradox of it, I think, is that whether you know what, well, I mean, muscles work in systems, right? So that there's that, that other idea of like, okay, we do what muscle am I doing this for? Ah, eh, lots of them right? Like, so, but I know that I'm being a bit reductionist about that because I've spent time with it. So I'm confident saying, don't worry about it because it's, it's, it is empowering and powerful information to know as someone that works with the body. But I would say if you're trying to work out where to put your attention because you've got limited resources and time and you want to improve your teaching, if we're talking about reformer, I would say put your time and effort into understanding the relationship of the spring tension and the footbar to the movements you want to teach, which is essentially biomechanics because being able to manipulate people's level of challenge, even if you don't know, it's like, this is really hard on the legs when I do it on light springs, but it's easier on the legs when I do it on heavy springs, right? Being able to understand that will be much more valuable as an instructor than knowing that rectus femoris is struggling because you've fixed the hip and you've, you're now effective, you know, like that, those things are great to know, but they're actually secondary to your understanding of the equipment that you're using. And one of the activities I suggest people do, and I, I, I've done it and I do it, I still do it, is do a movement on every available spring tension in your own body and think about how tall am I? How short am I? How much do I weigh? What would it mean if I was taller, shorter? bigger, smaller, and start to build your empathy, so sort of biomechanical empathy. Like, you know, that, that, that would be where I would put your effort and attention. And paradoxically, I'm pretty sure if I'd done that at the beginning, when I then went and did anatomy, I would have had a, I would have, things would have clicked a lot more. It would have been like, ah, right. My legs burn because I'm doing loaded knee extension because my quads are working. But I already knew they burn because I've played with the springs
0: it sounds like you would value understanding movement over memorizing anatomy.
1: Totally. Yeah. yeah.
0: And it goes down to like, we were movement instructors, right? Our movement teachers, movement educators and anatomy is static, right? Anatomy can inform your biomechanics. So it's like, it's good to know. Um, I think it's really, it can be helpful for therapeutic alliance that you can answer a question. If someone asks you, Yeah, but it's not so much about the movement, because usually when someone asks you, like, is this for my glutes, it's because there's something attached to that meaning, right? Like, is this good for the glutes? Because my physio said I needed to strengthen my glutes because I have back pain and I'm in because I have back pain, I can't do this activity. So it's like what that person actually wants is that they want to be able to do the activity and that's that awesome instructor is is being able to, to see through that lens and, and being able to answer, you know, some questions can be helpful, but I would agree with you that it's not on like the top of the list. And yeah. one thing I can mention is like, anecdotally, um, at the beginning of my career, I knew less anatomy, but I talked a lot more anatomy and now as I'm deeper into my career, 14 years in, I know a lot more anatomy and I say a lot less. And I think that that just really speaks to the difference between understanding movement, and 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 um, just memorizing anatomy, and also just the security within yourself. And that's yeah. where not knowing this stuff can be really helpful. Just from like, uh, you you don't no longer have that imposter syndrome, of you don't you don't know the anatomy, you don't know the biomechanics. I've certainly been through that of like, oh shit, I hope they don't ask me. Yeah, just don't ask me. You know, yeah, like, yeah. Like, you know, like, like, you know, that kid in the classroom is like, don't ask me. Um, so it's like, don't do that. But now it's like, I can answer it. I just, you know, I don't really need to have that conversation. Um, yeah. so, so any listener listening to this, um, anatomy is cool, but it's not the missing link to, um, going from, uh, average to an awesome instructor.
1: Yeah. agree. It, and a hundred percent, there's no doubt, especially in Pilates, it seems to still be kind of accepted as being, you know, the the domain of like proto-physical therapy or proto-physiotherapy where a lot of clients anticipate or expect the instructor to know a lot of anatomy. I think it's quite reasonable that as a developing instructor you feel you should know anatomy. And as you say, it's it's great to know anatomy and it is it it is a big I mean it is it's the it's the under the bonnet knowledge that's that's applicable to what we do like that muscles and bones are the the pulleys and levers of movement so it's it's not like it's not associated with what we do so it's it is great to know it and i'm really grateful that i've spent a lot of time learning it and it's really interesting like it's it's crazy interesting it's just that it's not that low-hanging fruit like of, of becoming a really great movement teacher if, if you knew all the muscles that wouldn't automatically make you a better movement teacher but if you know the movements and the effect of the springs then when you add the anatomical knowledge that will level up your confidence and, and skills so it's like ones and zeros if you make the anatomy the one doesn't really work but if you make the movement the one and then you add the zero of anatomy you you get an order of magnitude improvement. That... Exactly. yeah,
0: keep on top of like, even on top of that, the empathy you spoke about, um, you know, is a vital skill, you know, even I would rather, I'd rather have an empathetic instructor who kind of sort of understood movement than, um, someone who was teaching for themselves and giving me an anatomy lesson, um, any day of the week. Yeah. Now, um, with this, I am conscious uh, of time and and you've done an awesome job just demonstrating the simplicity of being an awesome instructor. And um, if there is anything that a listener, a Pilates instructor would take from our time together, uh, what would you want that to be?
1: In terms of if you're motivated to improve yourself along a progression from wherever you are to being even more awesome as a Pilates instructor. And how would you do that? I think, and if I was to say that, look back and say it to myself, uh, I would say in almost all cases, reduce the number of exercises that you teach, organize them into body positions and think about them in those groups so that you've got less cognitive resources going into planning which gives you more cognitive resources you can apply to observation and self-reflection and apply that over time and be patient with it. So do your reps. Remember that you'll be bored long before your clients. And when you're bored, you're about to make a breakthrough. Uh, and then in terms of your exercise selection, focus on presenting exercises that people have the capacity to do and then all of the stuff that we hear about correct positions and posture and neutral this and imprint that it doesn't matter if the person has the strength range of motion and control to do 20 plus reps of the thing you're asking for you can do it in any shape you want and contemporary dance is proof of that so just that would be the thing I would say, just like as long as you work on doing your own practice, understanding the machine and the movements that you're going to teach and being able to present a meat and potatoes, like a, an achievable version of it at the beginning, then how you, the little details of how they do it don't matter because they, they can do 20 reps. They can do it in any shape they want. That would be what I'd say to myself if I could go back.
0: There you go. What, what uh, awesome, awesome wisdom. And, um, and for any uh, listener that wants to uh, get in touch with you and uh, to work with you, Heath, um, how can they get in touch with you?
1: Uh, okay. So, um, I'm on Instagram as contrology collective. Uh, that's the easiest way. Um, I run an online weekly, no, not weekly. I run a thing called the reformer pack, which is a 10 week commitment um so we start we do it four times a year it's 10 weeks uh you commit to me i commit to you it's essentially intended for instructors to do explore reformer practice but general public people do come but when i teach that that's not how i teach the general public uh and i run a a mentoring program which you can find on my website which is contrologycollective.com.au as well that's yeah so i run a a mentoring program for qualified instructors who want to spend a sustained period of time developing their skills using my my methods that's 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 my game outside of um breathe education where we work together training instructors from the ground up and yeah that's that's me
0: sounds like you have a lot of days off Uh... Um, so for anyone who didn't uh, write that down on a bar napkin, um, all of uh, the information that Heath just uh, mentioned is in the show notes. So it is just one click away uh, to go ahead and um, start to, to follow him on Instagram and uh, work with him. Uh, thank you uh, for your time, Heath. And thank you, uh, listener, for taking time out of your day. Have an incredible rest of your day.